As you're being seated, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to that first John passage we read just a few moments ago. Glad for all the fairy family here today. See that baptism? That was great stuff, right? Great days to remember. Our calendars and our lives are full of beginnings. We all have them. We celebrate them, in fact, in our culture quite a bit. And we remember the beginning of our lives with what we call birthdays, or maybe better should say beginning day. And we do that every year. In a lot of countries, we all gather together on New Year's Eve because January 1st celebrate the beginning of a new year. And we make a big deal out of that. And on top of all of that, there are anniversaries, anniversaries that recount the years that we at times have spent together as husband and wife and the day that we got married. Sometimes anniversaries take the form of celebrating how many years you had the same place of employment. But we have a lot of things that we invest into our lives and our calendars uh, because to us, beginnings are important. In fact, sometimes when we've had a bad day, the next day the sun rises and it becomes a symbol for us. It's the beginning of a new day, uh, hopefully a better day. Uh, beginnings, without a doubt, play a big part and role in all of our lives. The Bible itself stresses the importance of beginnings. And in fact, you don't have to be a very astute student of Scripture to know that that's exactly how the Bible get, begins. In Genesis 1.1, these three words, we all know them. Yes, in the beginning, in the beginning. It's the beginning of creation. It's the, the very moment that God began to make everything in our material world. Um, chapter Genesis 1 is filled with six days of beginnings, beginnings of light and darkness and sun, moon, stars, animals, birds, fish, of course, people. I would have loved to have been there on those days to see all those things come into existence out of nothing. But that's not the only time that the Bible talks about beginnings. In fact, John, whose epistle that we're studying this summer, also wrote a gospel, if you're not familiar with it. And he begins his gospel millennial later, millenniums later, and he says and uses the same words from Genesis 1.1. His gospel starts in the beginning. Same phrase, but what he refers to, as you read it, you'll know, to a different kind of Genesis, a different kind of beginning. It's the one where Jesus, he calls the word, is bringing. It's a new kind of creation. It has not just a physical reality like the first one, but a spiritual reality. See, the first creation was all about God or through God's spoken word. But this new creation would be given to us by his living word, the Lord Jesus. Well, John's not done with beginnings because he also starts our book with it. If you look at me with me, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, from the beginning, the phrase is used a number of times, actually eight different times in First John. As we go through the series, you'll see them because we're going to tackle all of them. And John uses the phrase from the beginning in a number of different ways, a number of different meanings. And the question we're going to ask this morning is, when he uses from the beginning to describe Jesus, which beginning is he talking about? Well, I think as you read it, you'll find that he's talking about the beginning, can I say, 
before the beginning. One author, David Allen, said this, It's the unbeginning beginning. It's the eternal beginning. And that's how John, as we do a little bit of a deep dive at the beginning of this text, because John does, he wants to give us a little theology. And he says, and when you talk about Jesus, that's how you have to talk about him. He doesn't have a beginning. You see, we celebrate Christmas, but Jesus really didn't begin existing at Bethlehem. He wasn't created like the angels and Unlike the lies that Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses and other cults give us, he wasn't the first created thing that God the Father made. John wants us to know that before, ever, before history ever heard the starting gun, Jesus was already there. John's beginning in 1 John, truthfully, goes all the way back to eternity past. And when he says, from the beginning, he's talking about nothing less than Jesus' pre-existence and his deity. R.G. Lee was a pastor of a number of years ago in a church in Memphis, and he said this. Listen to this. Jesus was, the true, was truly the only man who had a heavenly father but no heavenly mother. He had an earthly mother but no earthly father, and was older than his mother and as old as his father all at the same time. I don't know how he came up with all that, But see, what he's trying to say basically is Jesus is 100% God. He is equal with God the Father. But then he follows all of that deep dive into theology with verse 2. Look at it. And the life was manifest. And then he's going to exaggerate it in verses 2 and 3. He's going to repeat it numerous times. And we have seen it and testify to it. And proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. What his point is, is this. Jesus, the infinite, has become intimate. The transcendent has become imminent. Through Jesus, he's going to tell us in verse 2, that God has been made audible, visible, and touchable. That's important because in John's theology that he quotes both in his gospel and here, he repeats this little phrase. It's from the Old Testament that no one has ever seen God at any time. But yet in this text, he says to us, we have seen him. We have seen him. He uses seeing verbs three times in the first three verses. Hearing verbs three times. He says, touch. See, we've heard him, we've seen him, we've touched him. Jesus is real. So what, how do you solve the conflict? You can't see God, but Jesus is God. And John says, we've seen him. Because here's what Jesus is. He is God, very God. And when you see him, John 14, 9, if you've seen the Father, you've seen him. See, that's the reality of it. He is, the Bible says, the word of life. He is the word of life. And he says he is real, John says. Now, let me ask you a question. Why does all this theology matter so much? Why in the world would he start a book with such deep theology? How is that important to them? How is it important to us? Why does Jesus, I should say John, why does he say the same thing over and over and over again in verses 2 and 3? Can I tell you here's why? 
Because this is the only way that you can have eternal life. Eternal life is used, that phrase is used six different times in this book. It brackets the book. It starts out in verse 2 talking about it, and the next to last verse at the end is talking about it, and all kinds of verses from the end. This is a book, thus the series title, about you having life assurance. How you can know that you're going to go to heaven when you die and what it means before you get there. Now, in John's day, it was crucial. And you'll find as we read the whole book why. They lived in a time in the midst of false teachers, false prophets. It was a day where people were believing lies about Jesus' deity and humanity. It was a time where there was a lot of opposition to true Christianity. In fact, they were being persecuted by it. And the degree of theological error was so great that John calls it antichrist. Even inside the church, people were leaving it and spreading theological errors, and they were doing it and not showing love to one another. Inside and outside the church, people needed, see, they needed to know in the first century what a true Christian really looks like. What is somebody who actually has eternal life? How do they live? Can I tell you, it's no different in the 21st century as it is the first. We need it. In a day in which there are lies, theological error, violence, greed, all kinds of horrible things going on inside at times and even outside the church as well, we need to know How could you know that you have eternal life? What does somebody's life look like that has it? And so let me start off with where I'm going to go in this series. Let me ask you personally. Do you have eternal life? See, do you have eternal life? If you don't know for sure, you can know. In fact, John's going to tell us repeatedly. You can know for sure you have eternal life assurance. 95 times, 95 times in the New Testament, he talks about eternal life. It's important to John, and can I say it is important to God that you just don't hope that you do, or maybe you do, or I'll see someday if I do. John wants you to know that you can have eternal life, and you can be 100% sure about it. Jesus, who was God, had no beginning He became a man and took on a beginning so that we could have eternal life and have a new beginning. It's all about beginnings. What about yours? Have you ever had a beginning with God? Have you ever come to the place where you recognize that eternal life is in Jesus? If you don't have a new beginning, you can. If you do, or you're wondering what it would look like, This text this morning is going to give us three things, three things that people share who have eternal life. Let's look at them one at a time, can we? The first one in verses one and two are this. See, people who have eternal life share this. They have a shared life. Three times in our text, he wants to emphasize that. Jesus is called the word of life. He talks about eternal life. He talks about the life himself. See, over and over again, 15 times in this epistle, he talks about life and having life and where it comes from. Over and over again, he repeats this to us. And here's why. Hear me. He wants you to know this morning and his readers to know that there's only one source of eternal life. Only one, and it's Jesus You know why that's crucial? You know why we have to understand that? Listen, because you're aware of this. 
Because every other religion in the world says you can be saved by your life. See, it's more popular, I think, than ever before for people to say, it doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, it doesn't matter if you go to church, where you go to church, all that matters is that you live your life well. See, all other religions, whether it's Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, they say this, you can be saved by your life, you being good, you being moral, you being kind, you being loving, you're saved by your life. But you know what the problem with that is on a lot of problems, but you know what one in particular is? See, if you're saved by your life, you can never know until the end of your life whether you have life. You can't know because it's all about your life and you have to live your life until it's done and then you can possibly hope that you have it. But people who live that way have no life assurance. They can't know. In contrast to that, biblical Christianity is the only religion in the entire world that says you are saved by somebody else's life, namely Jesus. Why does that matter? Because... If you're saved by his life, you can know now that you have eternal life. You don't have to wait till your life is over. Today, when you walk out of this auditorium, you can know that you have eternal life. So let me ask you again, do you really know? Are you 100% certain that if you die today that you'd have eternal life? You can if you understand and embrace and put your faith in this truth that Jesus is the only source of life. And depending on him, trusting in him and his death and resurrection for payment for our sins is that source of life. John, at the end of his book, says this. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. Listen, and this life is in his son, Ready? He who has the Son has life, but he who does not have the Son does not have life. Every person in this auditorium today, everyone, there's only two categories of humanity. If you have life or you don't, if you have the Son or you don't, which one is you? I say that because it's possible it's possible that you just have an intellectual grasp of the facts. There are a lot of people who come to church. There are a lot of people who are religious. There are a lot of people who believe that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross, and he rose again. But it's not salvation and having life. is not just agreement with some propositions about who Jesus is and what he did. See, true, and you'll see it all throughout this book, that true life assurance and eternal life is both objective and subjective. Objective meaning you do believe things. You believe he's the word of God. You believe he was preexistent, equal with God. You believe all of those things. You believe he died and rose again. But here's what the Bible says. He is the word of life and, and his life dwells in you. You don't just believe he is the life. His life is inside of you. It changes you. You actually share his life. Listen to these astonishing verses. Galatians 2.20 says, It's no longer I who live, Paul says, but Christ who, listen, lives in me. 
He lives inside of me. John 3.14, 1 John 3.14, if you have the Son, you have passed from death unto life. It's that radical. When you get saved, it's just not, hey, I believe those truths now. No, his life comes into you, and it was like you were dead, spiritually you are, and come to life again. 2 Peter 1.4 says that if you are a Christian, you are a partaker of the divine nature, that the very life that animates God as God by faith through Christ lives in you. Vital signs. Signs of life, they call them. I looked them up on the internet. Medically speaking, there are five basic signs of life. So when you go to the doctor sometimes, okay, I'm going to start with taking your vitals. And they do that. Your core temperature is first, 98.6. You have a heart rate, even as you're sitting there this morning, 60 to 100 times a minute. Then they'll check your respiratory rate, 12 to 18 breaths a minute. Your blood oxygen, right? And it has to be 95. Remember, during COVID, they had these, right? You put them on your finger. I don't know if you ever did that or not. Your blood pressure should be somewhere around 120 to 80. That was the five. There was a sixth one I found just on one place. Your Mountain Dew level has to be very high. For health. But what do you, why do they check these things? Because as they monitor those things, they are early warnings. Because if your vital signs are off, your life is off. And it shows, yeah, if you don't have any of these vital signs ready, you're dead. You have no life. What about your spiritual vital signs? Any signs of life in you, inside of you? See, John is going to go through this book, and he's going to give us all kinds, numerous kinds of signs of life. He's going to take your spiritual vitals throughout this whole series. He's going to tell you that if you have eternal life, you will love God. He's going to tell you if you have eternal life, you're going to love others. You're not going to be dominated by sin. Your beliefs and your behaviors will match up. The vertical and the horizontal will be synced. You're going to walk in the light, not in darkness. And over and over again throughout this epistle, he's going to tell you, hey, take your spiritual vital sign. Take a look at your life. Not just the things that you say the Bible teaches, oh, I agree. That's great. But he says it's more than that because you have his life in you. So you got to ask, don't you? Do you have a spiritual pulse this morning? Because a lot of people just think they do because they do externally religious things. But they don't really share in his life daily. His life isn't being lived out in theirs. See, that's the first thing. If you have eternal life, if you had a new beginning in Jesus, the first thing will be true of you that you have a shared life. But that's not all. And verse 3 says, you'll also have a shared fellowship. Look at it. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, purpose clause, so that, why did he give you the message of salvation? So it would make this change in you, so that you may have fellowship with us, horizontal, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father, and with his son, Jesus Christ. What is fellowship? Well, unfortunately, as Baptists, we've dulled it down so much that we think it always revolves around food. Sharing coffee, eating donuts, stuffing our face, we think that's really... 
the dynamics of fellowship. But it means a lot more than that. The word in Scripture means that you hold or have something in common with someone. (laughs) I thought about what in the world do we have in common with God that we could have fellowship with him. Well, here's what we have in common with him. Jesus. Jesus and his life. That's what we have in common with us. And when you do, you have vertical fellowship. You have life. We've talked about that already this morning. But see, it's more than that. And he's going to say again, all throughout the book, he's going to say both of them. He says there are two types of fellowship. Two. Your salvation and eternal life is not just something that affects your relationship with God. It also affects your relationship with others. The two fellowships, hear me, and someone who has eternal life, that has a new beginning, they are connected in their lives. If you have fellowship with God, you will have fellowship with believers. And if you have fellowship with believers, you will have fellowship with God. May I say this straight out to you? The Bible knows nothing about a churchless Christian. Nothing about it. In fact, in 1 John 2.19, he says, the only people who were leaving their church in their day were people that became apostate. Imagine this. What if you had a friend, and your friend, you were friends for a little while, and then you got married, and your friend and you had already always been close. He really, really liked you. But at the same time, he really, really disliked your wife. How do you think that's going to go over? Well, the friendship, what? It's not going to last. You can't love me and hate my wife. John's saying this. You can't love Jesus and hate his wife, the church. You can't. Because the two fellowships go together. You love Jesus and you love Jesus' family, the church. See, many times in his epistle, he's going to say, hey, if you say that you love God, but you hate your brother, strong, ready? You are a liar, a liar, not just mistaken, not just, you're a liar. You cannot have this fellowship without this fellowship. They go together. Having eternal life is not gained by the fellowship. It is demonstrated by it. We have fellowship with God. We share his life. We share his interest. And he is radically interested in the church. So we love what he loves, the church. We share his devotion and his passions to the church. So we have to take our spiritual vitals, don't we? What about our pulse? Do you love what he loves? Do you desire what he desires? Do you love him, or so you say, But hate his wife? He says it doesn't work that way because if you have eternal life, if you've had a new beginning by faith in him, here's what's true of you. You have a shared life and you have a shared fellowship, but he's not done. There's one more. If you look in verse four, he says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete complete. Nine different times in 1 John, he talks about the purpose for why he, the verb writing. He says, I write unto you, and here's why I wrote unto you. And he's going to tell us all kinds of reasons about why he wrote to them. 
And he mentions a number of them. And this one, the one he starts out with, he says, you know why I wrote to you? Because I want you, verse 4 says, that our joy, yours and mine, might be complete. A shared life together with a shared fellowship together produces a shared joy together. See, everyone who has eternal life has common beliefs. We have common doctrines that we hold to. You can see them on our website. But we also have common experiences that we have. Joy is one of them. Listen, joy is not something that you directly seek. It is a byproduct. See, you read the Beatitudes and it says, blessed or happy are those, blah, blah, blah. So you don't say, well, I'm just going right after blessedness. I want happiness. And so here's what Jesus says. In his kingdom, blessing, happiness comes from you being humble, you being meek, you being poor in spirit. He says, you get the happiness as a byproduct of being a certain kind of person. And Jesus is saying, through John here, he's saying, listen, joy is a byproduct of a shared life, a shared fellowship. If you don't have the first two, you won't have the last one. You know why that's crucial? Because I would guess this morning that there are a number of people, if you're honest and you could tell the story and you want to give out the details, that you're struggling having joy. You are. You're struggling with it. It flows out of a life that knows Jesus and has his life and fellowships with him. See, Jesus, I should say, John got that whole thing from Jesus. Listen to the verses that Jesus tells John and the rest of the disciples on the night before he'd be crucified. He says, and I want to tell you about my joy so that your joy may be full. Same word here, completed. Jesus says, if you want to have a complete joy, you want to have a full joy, you want to have a permanent joy that nothing can take away, that the world can't steal from you, John 16, Jesus says, you get it from having mine. You have to have my joy, joy in me, and then you'll have joy in everything else. John 16, 24 says, and so here's what I say, pray and ask, and ask me so that your joy may be full, he says. On his high priestly prayer, Jesus says that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Filled in himself, it says. See, complete joy, full joy, is permanent joy. And if you have eternal life, if you have it, if you have this shared life and this shared fellowship, it's possible, and I want to tell you it's exciting, it's possible to have a kind of joy right now, no matter what circumstance you're facing, what situation you're facing, that nobody can take away from you. A full joy comes not from your circumstances, not from your situation, but from Jesus. So I call it Jesus joy. It's way different than happiness that the world offers, which I call temporary joy, fickle joy. Because you know as well as I do, don't you? There's a great difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is always fickle and it changes and is completely based on circumstances, i.e., if your job is good, 
You're good. Your marriage is happy. You're happy. Your bank account is full of money. You're full of happiness. It also goes the other way, doesn't it? Your job stinks. You're not happy. Your marriage is going down. You get depressed. Your bank account is empty. You get anxious, afraid, and more. And that's how a lot of people live. Oops. Maybe that's how much you live that way every day. Depending on what's going around and everybody else thinks you might be a little bit moody. Just having a bad day. No, it's, you know why? Because happiness is always circumstantial. But Jesus says, if you have my life, if you have fellowship with me, and you and I have a relationship, see, you know what the byproduct is? A completed joy, a full joy, not like anything other than that, a different kind of joy. You don't need to add anything to it. Have you seen the commercials? I was tempted to get one. They have this thing now on, the, on TV where they say, if you're not really good, maybe for single, I don't know, people who won't want to cook or whatever, you can get meals sent to your house. They come in this box and each one is a container and they actually say that you can buy their microwave. Have you seen this? So your package has a number on it and you put the, I think, the number in the microwave, you put the numbers in and it knows exactly how much to cook it or, or nuke it or whatever you do with it, Right? So you get these meals and you bring them about and you put them in there and everything is in there. You don't have to do anything. I'm not surprised. Maybe someone else eats it for you too. I don't even know. <laughs> but you get this stuff and it's all self-contained and you don't have to add anything to it. <laughs> That's great, but how lazy are we really? You don't have to add anything to it. You know what John says? Oh, when you have Jesus, when you have eternal life, if you had a new beginning with him and he lives in you and you have fellowship with him and with others, you know what the byproduct is? You have a joy and you don't have to add anything to it. Oh, you know, I'd really be happy. You ever said this, played this game? I'd be happy if, <laughs> if I got that better job, if I made a little bit more money, if my spouse would, you know, come back tonight for that one if my children if my boss if my health see because we're waiting for the next train load of happiness to pull up to our house and unfortunately at times it never comes i was talking with someone recently who was telling me that they had a lunch or just a talk with someone in their family this person I was talking to has eternal life, but their family doesn't. And they were talking to me and said that the relative that they were talking to said, Hey, I want you to talk to me about salvation. Which was great, but a little puzzling. And then the relative said this follow statement. Because you're the only one in our entire family that's happy. The only one Oh, see, it's way more widespread than I could probably ever imagine. And people see it. And the difference was this person had eternal life. 
See, they had the life of Jesus living in them and it was making a difference in people's lives. See, they had fellowship with God and with others. And you know what the byproduct was that was obvious for everyone else to see? It was joy. Oh, not a happy, circumstantial, situational joy, but oh, a permanent one, a permanent joy. Oh, see, Jesus had it. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, that for the joy that was set before him, the joy. By the way, the verse is about him on the cross. When he was on the cross, he endured the cross. He despised the shame, the social ridicule, all the horrible things that the cross involved included. He says he endured the cross, despising the shame because of the joy that was set before him. Oh, see, the joy that Jesus has, the joy that Jesus gives, the joy that is a byproduct of knowing him is a joy that can face even horrific things like the cross and not be daunted. It can't be shaken. It can't be exhausted. It doesn't run low or run out. Oh, wouldn't you like to have a joy like that? Wouldn't you like to have a life where they could bring it on no matter what it was, and it wouldn't steal your joy. Do you have that kind of joy today? Is yours based on what's going to happen? In fact, maybe you even came to church today a little grumpy because you know what this next week holds. The question is, does Jesus hold you? See, do you have that kind of joy? Do you know Jesus' joy in your life? Maybe, maybe, if you don't, if you don't have his joy, maybe you don't have his life or his fellowship. Because joy, Jesus' joy, is a product. You can't get it. It's not a technique. It's not a tool. It's part of having a life. And if you've never given your life to him so that he could give his life to you, you can do that today. You can say, Father, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And Jesus is my only hope. I need a new beginning, not turning over a new leaf, not starting a new chapter. I'm not going to say I want to be a better version of me. I want to work harder at this thing. No, it's saying I don't have life. He alone does. And he died on the cross and rose again from the grave and conquered sin and hell and death so that he, by faith, could give me that life. If you've never received it, you can. You can. And you can have his life, his fellowship, and his joy in you. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around this morning, perhaps you're here, first time, a visitor. Maybe you've come here recently for the last months or years. Maybe you've come here for many, many years. Have you checked your vitals lately? Have you? Do you have a spiritual pulse? Are there any signs of life? No, I didn't ask whether you believe certain truths in the scriptures. I'm glad for that. But it's not just objective, it's subjective. It means Jesus lives in you and it changes. It changes how you relate to him and how you relate to others, his church, his people. Oh, it changes everything. Has it changed you? 
See, he's real. He's seen, heard, touched him. He's real, but is he real in you? That's what John wants to ask. Have you had a new beginning? Have you ever put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Have you ever called on him to be your Lord and Savior and to take over your life? If you haven't, you can. With no one looking around, would there be anyone this morning who would say, Pastor Walker, I'll be honest, kind of religious here this morning, but I am not 100% sure that I have eternal life. I would like to know how I can. I would, I need Jesus' life in me. I need that. Some of you might even say, I'm desperate for it. If that's true, with no one looking around, you just say, Pastor Walker, here's my hand. Pray for me that even today I could leave here. I would leave here and know that I have eternal life. Would you just slip your hand up for a few moments and I'll pray for you before we close today. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? The main floor or the balcony. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand over there. You can put your hand down and once you've raised it, thank you. Anyone else? See, I, I don't, I'm not 100% sure I have eternal life, but I want to. I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Anyone else while we wait? Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? If there are, perhaps you're here this morning and you are sure, but you'd have to say, Pastor Walker, my spiritual heart is beating, but my vital signs aren't good. They're really not. Maybe it's your vertical fellowship. Maybe it's your horizontal. Maybe you've been really casual about God, really casual about church and serving people and following Jesus. Oh, Pastor Walker, I have life, but I need to live it more daily for his glory. I need to become more like him. I need to really have vital signs that show that I have life, not to prove it or perform for it, but because he's worthy of it. And I want to glorify him. Please pray for me. If you'd slip your hand up as a believer this morning, that's the cry of your heart. Would you do that? Thank you. Numerous hands. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. I see the balcony. Thank you. In just a moment, we're going to conclude with a song, and here's what I'm going to propose. Walking down an aisle, to be flat out honest with you, doesn't change anything at all. It won't save you. It won't make you spiritual or anything. It'll just get you down to the front. That's about it. But coming down to the front will do this. It'll give someone the opportunity to take a few minutes and show you from the Bible how you can have eternal life, that you can have a beginning with God through his son, Jesus Christ. You can. Today, today, you could leave here knowing that you have salvation knowing it if you raise your hand and there are a number i'm going to ask you to listen real carefully whether you're in the balcony or on the main floor doesn't matter we'll wait for you walk down the front and say i want to have a beginning with god and i'll know exactly what you mean and we'll have someone take the scriptures and show you today how you can have life in the sun
Would you do that? Don't even hesitate. The moment we sing, you come. For those who are Christians and you raised your hand this morning, I challenge you, take your vitals. Take them all summer as we go through this text and ask God and pray God, get on your knees and then do something about it. Do something about it. And let me give you a step you can take this morning to start out. Get in a small group. Get in a small group right after church. Ask Pastor Dave. He'll show you how you can get in a group that will push you and keep you accountable and love you and be family to you so that fellowship can produce joy in you. That's your first step. I challenge you to do it. Let's pray. Father, we pray and ask you take your word, which is totally sufficient, for all that we need, including eternal life and life now. I pray for those who raise their hand, a number of them, Father, you know that, you've seen their hearts. May you help them today to humble themselves and to seek help by coming forward that today we might rejoice with the angels of heaven over sinners that repent, that we might celebrate the wonderful grace and love and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. They might have eternal life and know it For those who raise their hand as Christians, oh, Father, let them start a small group today. Let them start spiritually exercising, getting their life where it ought to be by your help, by your grace, and for your glory. And I'll praise you for all that you're pleased to accomplish. In Jesus' precious name, amen.